Well, good morning again. Always good to be here. You probably know that um, uh, various religious groups go by initials. So if I said to you, LDS, would you know what I'm talking about? Sure. What if I said JW? You'd know what I'm talking about. Well, they tell us that the dominant religion in America today is MTD. Do you know what that stands for? MTD is the religion of America today. In fact, studies have been done recently, over the last number of years, and the dominant religion in America today is MTD. Oh, it is. I'm not joking. MTD stands for Moralistic Therapeutic Deism. Now, let me explain that. That is the dominant religion in America today, including among Christians. It is not Christianity anymore. It's MTD. Here's what it means. There are five tenets of this religion. Number one, a God exists. That's good. Who created and ordered the world, and he watches over life on earth. Good. Number two, God wants people to be nice, good, fair to each other, um, and as taught in the Bible and as taught by most world religions. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about yourself. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is a problem. And number five, am I on now? I, I was getting the, the signal. Can you hear me now? Up there in the booth, can you hear Do you have me now on there? Maybe I didn't turn this on properly. We'll try to get it working here. Sorry for the interruption. You can just reflect on MTD. Good. How's that? Is that better? Good. Um, back to what I was saying before. They say that the dominant religion is MTD. Moralistic, therapeutic, deism. And by the way, the fifth um, tenet of this is good people go to heaven when they die. That is the dominant religion in America today. Moralistic, which means basically God wants people to be good and nice to each other. Certainly he does. We know that to be true. But that's not the essence of Christianity. Therapeutic means basically God wants people to be happy and to feel good about themselves. And of course he does. 
in a sense, but that's not the heart of Christianity. And deism believes that there is a God who made us and life on planet Earth, but does not involve himself significantly in life on planet Earth. By all accounts, this is how we in America, religious people and irreligious people, this is our predominant religion, and including most Christians. Now, I hope these you good people here in Riverton know that that is not the message of the Bible. But it is the worldview of our society. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. That is our religion. Now today, in our text of Scripture, God is going to attack that religion ruthlessly. Because frankly, moralistic, therapeutic deism not only is remarkably far from the Bible, but besides, it's not even helpful for life on planet Earth. And so God is going to present something that's kind of hard-hitting today as we're going to now look at people like ourselves who are, quote-unquote, basically good people. And we're going to find ourselves face-to-face with the judge. That judge is not us. That judge is God. And we're going to see how well we stack up. Remember last week together? Last week, the Apostle Paul started, he made this incredibly intricate portrait of what pagan people are like. And how when you choose to disregard God, not give him thanks, walk away from God, you start on a path that ultimately leads to very bad things for you and for other people. But as you know, if you're um, a, a religious person, if you know how you're a, even a good person, most people, as I looked at that passage last week, you could have said, looked to yourself and said, that's not me. That's not me. That's not me. In fact, people of almost all religions would say, they would look at that portrait in chapter 1 of Romans and say, boy, yeah, there's those bad people down the road, but that is not me. And so now the Apostle Paul who's trying to make a case that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, as we heard this morning with the children, now what he's going to do is he's going to turn the lens onto the good people, the moral people, the goody two-shoes. And he's going to show the problem with people like us. Romans chapter 2. Let's go to verse 1. And for those who take pride in how morally good you are, you're going to find that we're going to meet the judge. Now, I would suggest, and most people would say this, whether you're a Christian or not in our society, one of the most horrific portions of our culture today is the amount of judging that is taking place. And where does most of it happen? Social media, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, all of these, there's incredible judging. And every single day, every day, in the tunes of thousands and thousands of people, people are crying out, how dare you take that picture of me and you tell me I look bad? 
Or how dare you take this statement of mine and you judge me every day to the tune, not thousands, I'm way off, millions every day judging. It's actually billions. The judging that goes on in this culture today is unbelievable, which is remarkable because one of the mantras of our culture is, don't judge me. And yet all we do is judge one another. Well, God's going to have a statement about that. And Jesus is as well. But let's start with Paul. This is what he says. You, you therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you're condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day when God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. It begins with the word, therefore. And again, you've probably heard this. Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you should always ask yourself, what is it there for? It's therefore to point you back to what has come just before that. And just before that, the Apostle Paul has had this list of 20 or more horrible things that human beings do to each other. Slander, gossip, hatred, disobedience, etc. This long list. And many people, seeing that list, look at it and say, that's not me. So Paul says, you. You who just looked at that list and said, that's not me. You have a problem. You morally minded people. You respectable people. You people with your high moral standards. You self-respecting people who think that you can pass the bar of God's judgment better than those people. You are in for a rude awakening because you are going to have to face the judge. And when you face the judge, you're going to find yourself in deep weeds. You know why? Because you, you do some of the very same things you condemn other people for doing. Did you notice that list in chapter one? It included pride, arrogance, gossiping, maligning other people. Now, of course, no one in this church has ever done any of those. Um, First Baptist Church has never, ever had any gossip, has it ever? No one's ever, that's never visited this church, has it? No, I knew that. Um, there's never been anyone here who's arrogant? No, no, no one arrogant. Everyone's so humble here. No proud people? No people who sow discord? No, no, those don't exist anymore. Or do they? Yes, we're all included in that same list. Here, we have the audacity to condemn people for doing some of those things on the list, and we do some of those things on that list as well. And do you remember the words of Jesus? Oh, the people in Jesus' day were so proud of themselves because they thought that they lived according to God's law. Because they said, hey, God says, thou shalt not murder. I've never murdered anybody. 
God says in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery, and I have never committed adultery. We're among the good people. Remember what Jesus said? He said, do you think that all God thinks about is the physical murder of another person? Have you ever murdered anyone's character? Have you ever been angry with a brother? If you've been angry with a brother, you've already committed murder. You're a murderer. Oh, you think you haven't committed adultery. Have you ever looked at a person of the opposite sex, or these days even of the same sex, lustfully? Well, you're an adulterer. You see, one of the things that Jesus characteristically does, this gentle Jesus, meek and mild as we call him, he was not. He takes every one of God's standards and raises it to unrecognizable heights so that not one person that's ever lived can ever think that before God's standard of judgment, you're going to do okay. Not one person. Jesus does not lower God's standards so people can feel good about themselves. He raises God's standards so high that every single person who takes Jesus seriously knows that there's no way under heaven I could ever meet God's standards. And by the way, in the passage I just quoted to you, this is the last verse of chapter 5 of Matthew. Therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? Therefore, Here's the standard of God. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Good luck, turkeys. He doesn't say perfect. He says, because perfect, we always say it in our society. You hear it every day, oh, I'm not perfect. Duh. I mean, do you have any idea how far from perfect you really are? If you want to know what perfect is, as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's the standard. Not some low standard we have on planet Earth. We don't get through one hour perfect. Nobody does. And remember, by far the worst sins are not the sins we commit. By far the worst sins are the sins that we omit. The right things we should have done, the right things we should have said, the right motives we should have had. Those are sins too. God knows everything. If you think you can stand before God's judgment, if you think you can actually stand, you're out of your mind. Besides, when you do that, when I do that, when I stand in judgment of another person, I'm presuming that I'm God. I'm taking the prerogative of God, only God, and thinking that I have the right to judge somebody else. And besides, did you see what it said? When we stand in judgment of another human being, we, we, we trample on, we're stepping on God's grace. Because it is his mercy that has brought us to repentance. To know that there's a God who's forgiving and merciful and kind and gracious and unconditionally loving. That's what should bring us to repentance. And if God has done that for us, why can we not extend that same 
mercy to everybody else. Wow. You see, the, this is a quote. The person who is proud of his own morality and piety often sets himself up as a judge of those who are immoral. But his motives are often wrong, his attitudes cruel, and his thoughts impure. He should realize that God sees his heart. Well, let, let's take a, a quick look at human judgment. Um, first of all, let's be honest. All of us judge. We're all judge. We all judge other people. When we see the person carrying the sign on the street corner or the person who mouths a political view that we don't agree with or the person who looks strange or the person who commits some heinous crime or the jihadists in the Middle East or the fat cats on Wall Street, um, when it comes to judging, we're all guilty. Everyone does it. In fact, a poll was taken not long ago, and, and uh, they were asking people, what do you think about Christians? And nine out of ten people who were asked said, one of the big problems with Christians is that they're judgmental. Which, by the way, is ironic, because the people who gave that answer are themselves judgmental. So they revealed their own character when they answered that poll, as well as telling something horrible about ourselves. Yes, we tend to be judgmental, but... Realize everyone is. But then we remember the words of Jesus. Remember Jesus' famous words taken massively out of context and twisted enormously. Do not judge. That's what Jesus said, but that's only part of a sentence. He said, do not judge, lest you be judged. For with the same standard that you judge others, you will be judged. How dare you try to remove the speck of of, of dust out of someone else's eye, why you got a camel coming out of your own eye? First, take the camel out of your own eye. Then you'll be able to see sufficiently well to take the speck out of someone else's eye. Jesus does not say you don't judge because in the same passage, the very same passage, he says, oh, you better judge people by their fruit because you could be led astray by a false prophet. Oh, you better be judged. You better judge those um, who are, he calls them pigs. People who take the holy things of God and trample them. Yes, we do judge that. Jesus says, you do need to be discerning. In the very passage where Jesus talks about not judging, he tells us we have to judge the very same passage. But there's a difference between judgmentalism and discernment. We all have to be discerning. In fact, you as a congregation have to be very discerning over the next number of months because you're in the process of selecting a new pastor of this church. You don't know anyone's heart. You don't know my heart. In fact, we don't even know our own hearts. So we need discernment. And of course, God says, pray for it. Ask me. I will give it to you. We do need discernment. We have to make judgments. But we don't, we're not judgmental toward other people. You see, Jesus commands us to be fruit inspectors. Jesus tells us we must distinguish between the holy and the profane. But Jesus says, before you do that, always look in the mirror. And if you look in the mirror 
and you see who you are and I see who I really am, boy, it softens how we view other people. You remember Shakespeare's famous quote, the lady doth protest too much, methinks. In other words, when somebody is too harsh towards someone else, you often have to wonder what's going on in their own life. One of the problems with judgmentalism is we often don't see it in ourselves. Remember King David? Nathan the prophet tells him this incredibly cool, I mean, neat parable about, uh, about someone who mistreats others. And David is so angry. And then Nathan turns his finger and says, David, this is you. David didn't see it. You're, Jesus tells the parable of the, the Pharisee and the publican at prayer. And, and, and the Pharisee, who is out of step with God, says, Oh, I thank you, God, that I'm so righteous, and this guy's such a dud. And at the end, Jesus says, Oh, no, that dud is going to heaven, and you're not. You don't have any idea what you really look like. Remember the people who caught that woman caught in adultery? And as the Bible says, in the very act. Well, last I knew, if you're involved in the act of adultery, there are two people. Where's the guy? From the very start, they're absolutely unjust, horribly evil people. And then Jesus writes on the ground. We don't know what he said, what he wrote. But they just slink off. Once he says, how dare you condemn the... And then Jesus says, where are, your, where are the people who condemn you? They're all gone, she says. Well, Jesus said, I don't condemn you either. Go. Leave your life of sin. Please. You see, the Bible clearly warns us about judging other people without first judging ourselves. And it warns us about judging by appearances. And it, it, it warns us about jumping to conclusions without all the facts, and it, it warns us in the Bible about harsh judgment and about self-righteous judgment and about false judgment. There are Bible verses on all of those things. Someone wrote this. We are very good lawyers for our own mistakes, but very good judges for the mistakes of others. That's not good as you... Probably no. And even in our children's uh, sermon this morning, remember the illustration. When you judge somebody, you got the three pointing right back at yourself. This is C.S. Lewis. Whenever we find that our religious life is making us feel that we are good, above all, that we are better than someone else, I think we may be sure that we are being acted on not by God, but by the devil. The real test of being in the presence of God is that you either forget about yourself altogether or you see yourself as a small, dirty object. It is better to forget about yourself altogether. John Wesley said this, we should be rigorous in judging ourselves, and gracious in judging others. Well, in verses 6 through 11, the Apostle Paul is going to 
talk about the judgment of God and notice the basis of God's judgment. It is crystal clear in this passage. It is crystal clear throughout all of the Bible. And it is very difficult for Christians to understand. Look what he says. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. I grew up, I came of age in my teenage years, we're in the 1960s. And one of the things you'd hear everywhere in the 1960s in religious circles and even outside is, one way! There's only one way to heaven. And that one way is through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's cute. But it's false. There are two ways to heaven. There are two, not one. The Bible's clear from cover to cover. There are two ways to heaven. Here's the first way. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Oh, it's true. Anyone who is perfect goes straight to heaven. Go for it. No, the, this, did you see this passage? God will give to each person according to what he has done, doing good, does evil, does good. No, God has two ways of getting to heaven. Perfection is one of them. The other is the perfection of Jesus. Your perfection or Jesus' perfection? You can choose. You've got to be an idiot to choose your own. But that is possible. Here's Leon Morris, a dear man. He was a professor of mine. He wrote this. The reward of eternal life, then, is promised to those who do not regard their good works as an end in themselves, but see them as marks not of human achievement, but of hope in God. The bent of their lives is toward heavenly things. You see, God will will judge every person impartially, assessing each according to the same standard. And that standard is works. At God's judgment seat, well, at God's judgment, every human being will have to stand before God the judge, our Lord Jesus Christ. And God has taken a perfect videotape of everything we've ever done, everything we've ever thought, every motive we've ever had, every good thing and bad thing we've ever done. He has a videotape. And he does not miss one thing. His computers are so big, they're unbelievable. He's got every single thing every human being has ever done. 
when we stand before his judgment, God says, okay, let's play the tape. Because some of us, I think we can stand before God and he, the perfect judge who knows everything, we can watch the videotape of our lives and we'll go, hmm, that's good. Good job. Good job, Tom. Ooh, cool. Do you think you could get through a day of that? Do you want to get through an hour of it? But that's the choice we have. It's called self-righteousness. We think we can stand before God because there's only one standard of judgment. It's our works. That's the only standard. He's going to show us the videotape. But there's a second alternative. Here's the alternative. God's ready to start the tape. We fall on our knees. We say, oh, please, please. No. I know. I know what I've done. It's so horrible. But I know someone. I know him. He lived on this earth as I did. He was subjected to things way worse than I've ever faced. And he never, in for one second, ever did the wrong thing. He never thought the wrong thing. He never said the wrong thing. Every single second of every single day he was here on this earth, he did exactly what the Father ordained. He is perfectly righteous. And not only is he perfectly righteous, he's God. So his worth is greater than all human beings combined because he made all of us. And I choose to clothe myself in his righteousness alone. So we clothe ourselves in the righteousness of Christ. And we say, God, could you please play the tape? And what do we see? We see Jesus and his righteousness through our lives. Judgment by works. Same standard. But we stand in his righteousness, not our own. That's the choice. But can you believe, what a gift. That, that's why it's called good news. That's really good news. Really, really, really good news that I don't have to stand before God based on my righteousness. I can be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. His righteousness, as the Bible says, using theological terms, his righteousness has been imputed to my account. So before the bar of God's justice, my sins are innumerable. But he paid for every one of my sins when he died on that cross. And the wrath of God that rightly should fall on me because of my sin, he took that wrath on the cross for me. And the enslavement that my sin has produced. Jesus redeemed me. He, he, he became a slave so that I could be set free. That's what he did for me. That's what he did for you. If you want that. Well, the passage ends, verses 12 through 16. Because there's a problem. He's speaking, remember, to moral people, good people, religious people. And these religious people, and that's going to be our topic next week, Lord willing. These religious people say, well, 
we got it made in the shade with God because uh, we're religious. Oh, okay, let's see what God says about that. All who sin, apart from the law, that's the Mosaic law, there are people that don't know anything about Moses, the Mosaic law. All who sin apart from the law will perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts now accusing and now even defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Some people could say, well, you got kind of two kind of moral people in our world today. You got moral people who don't claim any religion at all. And by the way, I have some friends who I would say are more moral than I am, but they don't believe in God at all, but they are very moral people. Where do they get their morality from? Well, they have a morality inside of themselves. It's part of the way God made us in his image and it's part of the conscience he's placed in us. So they will be judged according to their law. And there are others that have the Mosaic law. We have special revelation from God. God tells us things that we would never learn from our conscience, and those really condemn us. And we will be judged by that law. But whether it's the law of conscience or the law of Moses, either one, you're still not going to come out very well. Because God sees and knows everything. But we all will have to face the judgment of God. You see, um, God's judgment will be based on truth. You maybe have heard the story of the jokester who, um, just for fun, he, he sent an anonymous note to um, 10 of his friends. And the note simply read, flee, all has been discovered. And within one day, they'd all left town, <laughs> all ten of them. This is C.S. Lewis again. Surely, what a man does when he is taken off his guard is the best evidence of what sort of man he is. Surely, what pops out before the man has had the time to put on the disguise is the truth. If there are rats in a cellar, you are most likely to see them if you go in very suddenly. But the suddenness does not create the rats. It only prevents them from hiding. In the same way, the suddenness of the provocation does not make me an ill-tempered man. It simply shows that I am an ill-tempered man. God knows it all. And he will judge us whether we have... Um, the law, or we have a law inside of ourselves. Probably the greatest movie over the last 30, 40 years, certainly in my opinion, and in the opinion of, of most people, is the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I suppose you've seen it. Any of you have seen the Lord of the Rings? Not many. I can't believe it. I hope you all have seen it. It's written by J.R.R. Tolkien, 
But what you may not know is his goal was to create, I quote, to create a new myth that offered the modern world another chance to understand the timeless roots of sin. Both good and bad characters, virtuous and diabolical people, both wrestle with the temptation toward evil, which is all of us. You see, God takes into account the amount of light that we have received, but none of us will fare well before the bar of God's judgment that knows absolutely everything. You see, essentially, the moralist has two problems. One, the moralist overestimates his or her goodness. And number two, the moralist underestimates the height and the depth of God's holiness. I hope none of us fit into that category. G.K. Chesterton, that I've quoted before, this is probably one of my favorite quotes of all time. He said this, No man's really any good at all until he knows how bad he is or might be. Till he's realized exactly how much right he has to all this snobbery and sneering and talking about criminals as if they were apes in a forest 10,000 miles away till he squeezed out of his soul the last drop of the oil of the Pharisees, till his only hope is somehow or other to have captured one criminal and kept him safe and sane under his own hat. What's wrong with the world? I am. The very sad truth of human existence is that one could be too good to go to heaven. May I suggest to you that the greatest irony in all of life on planet Earth is the following. Only bad people get to go to heaven. No one who's good can go there. You see, anyone who thinks they're good enough to stand before the bar of God's justice and proclaim their innocence cannot get into heaven. Only people who recognize how far short we fall of God's glory are given the opportunity to receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ that we did not deserve. And then we could stand before the bar of God's holy justice, faultless with great joy. It's a choice we have. Choose wisely. Let's pray. Well, I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would choose Jesus. We don't. We often choose, just like everybody else, ourselves. And too often we have the audacity to stand in judgment of other people. A judgment that's, that we don't really, we shouldn't do. Oh, I pray that you'd fill this body of believers with people whose righteousness is received, whose grace is just palpable, 
whose love for all people is just like God's. You represent Jesus somehow in this world in which you've given us the privilege of living. All for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me as we conclude this morning with this, these words of benediction quoted again from a, a very, very wonderful passage written by the Apostle Paul. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God be with you.